Well, it is uh, early morning, my friends. It's about 3.30 in the morning. I've been uh, awake for a little bit and reading, uh, which I love to do, and came across an article that I want to share with you. And it's, uh, I guess it's also in a book by uh, Jesus, The Greatest Life of All by Chuck Swindoll. But the article is titled The Five Wounds of Christ. Um from Kelly Smith of, uh, I guess it's called MRS Disciple, Mrs. Disciple. Anyway, it's from an article in 325-16, 325-2016 that was written. And it talks about the wounds of Christ and the five wounds. And I've never looked at it in this um, this fashion. I knew he was wounded. I knew the type of wounds. But uh, um, these wounds in this particular article, and according to Chuck Swindoll, and also I looked it up in um, in Wearsby's book, um, the the Bible uh, contemporary teaching, uh, and in the New Testament version, Wearsby says that Jesus was indeed inflicted with five wounds. And so I want to look at those scriptures today. Um, Grab a grab a Bible, grab a piece of paper and a notebook, and let me share some thoughts. These are not original thoughts. Um, I've added a little bit to a, uh, a couple of scriptures or a few scriptures that I thought fit, but um, most of what I will take today is from that article, "The Five Wounds of Christ" by Kelly Smith. Turn to Isaiah chapter fifty-three, a familiar portion of scripture when we talk about the suffering of Jesus Christ because he is, in Isaiah 53, prophesied as the suffering servant. In Isaiah chapter 53, in verse 5, Isaiah 53, in verse 5, it says, But he, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, was um, pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. Let's look at the wounds that were inflicted upon Jesus and some of the reasoning behind it. Let's look, first of all, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 1 says, Then Jesus, or Pilate, excuse me, took Jesus and flogged him. Um, what they would do is turn the prisoner over to uh, a lick turn was the, the title of the, the person who would do this, a man who was trained in inflicting as much pain as possible without killing uh, the criminal. People's backs would be torn apart. They would be completely brutalized in this flogging. And it was to prepare the prisoner for what was to come next, which would be the crucifixion. Um, you wouldn't think that that would be necessary, but to to destroy the, the criminal, to set an example to everyone else, the criminal would take this incredible beating upon his back. And Jesus, you'll remember in communion, tore the bread and gave pieces and said, this is my body broken for you. We know scripturally that his that his bones were not broken. So what was broken, what was broken was his skin, what was broken was his flesh, what was ripped apart uh, with this whip um, was his back and his body and the, the price that was paid. And um, it was a fulfillment of scripture because 
it was that Isaiah 53, 5 and verse 6, um, that he was pierced, he was crushed, he was chastised, he was beaten, and all of this for you and for me. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took that beating because of our sin. Jesus took that beating to pay the price for your sin and for mine. And that was um, the the purpose of the this crucifixion was to inflict as much pain as possible and to destroy and to humiliate, uh, humiliate the criminal. Um, but also they used um, this form of crucifixion to prolong the death and to intensify the death and to humiliate, as I said before, Jesus wasn't taken by surprise by this. Jesus chose to participate in this long before the foundation of the world. The plan was set. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is, is uh, talking to his disciples here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 says, And as Jesus was getting, going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside on the way and he said to him, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Why are we going to Jerusalem? Just to, uh, to uh, for the Passover? We're going to Jerusalem for this. And the Son of Man, remember that's from Daniel chapter 7, 13, 14. This was a familiar phrase that Jesus used about himself. And when he used it in front of the religious, religious leaders, they would just cringe because they knew that he was talking about um, the one who would come in in uh, in clouds, the one who would come to fulfill uh, the messianic role. And when he used the Son of Man, he said, "Well, he will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes." Notice, not delivered over to uh, the Romans. The chief priests and, and the, the scribes would then deliver him to the Romans, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. There's your Romans to be mocked, to be flogged to be crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Look at that. He said he would be mocked. He said he would be flogged, crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And all of those things were fulfilled. Now, Jesus, as he was being beaten, obviously this was a horrible, horrible uh, thing to happen to anybody. And and as the ribbons were uh, were ripped into his back and the... the um, the whip would literally come around the back to the front side and do damage to the front as well. And as he would do that, as he would take each of these stripes, blood would flow upon this post that he was tied to. And it was symbolic of Exodus chapter 29, Exodus 29, 15 and 16. I want you to turn there, Exodus 29 verses 15 and 16. Uh, this was... Uh, a situation um, in Exodus 29 where there was a consecration of the priests. And we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin from Hebrews chapter 9. And blood was, in a sense, a a symbol of purification as well. Look at uh, Exodus uh, 29 verse 15. Then you shall take one of the rams for the sacrifice, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of it of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and shall take his blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Each, each time Jesus was beaten uh, cruelly with this whip, each time uh, the lashes came upon his back, it would destroy the flesh and destroy um, 
and dig deep into his body and the blood would flow. And it was symbolic of, it, w- it was not a symbolic beating, but it was symbolic of this time in Exodus chapter uh, Uh, that we just read, Exodus chapter 29, uh, this uh, blood upon the altar. Jesus paid the most horrendous price for your sin and for mine. So he was flogged. Second of all, let's look at the crown of thorns. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27 through 30. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. There was about 600 men. A little overkill for one man, don't you think? And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him. Remember, we just looked at that, um, that Jesus would be mocked. And All of this is significant because it's a fulfillment of everything that was supposed to happen. It was a fulfillment of things that were supposed to happen. And this is difficult for us because there are people that have been teaching for a long time, liberal theologians, that Jesus was caught up in this and his purpose was not to die. His purpose was not to be crucified. His purpose was to be a good example. No, the purpose of Jesus coming was to die. We just saw that in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus prophesied that it would happen. Jesus predicted his death. And, and in Matthew chapter 20, that was the third time he had predicted his death to his disciples. And the death would go exactly as he said. Um, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 30. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his clothes. And then they led him away to be crucified. What's the significance of this of this mocking? What's the significance of of this crown of thorns that they wrapped up and and placed upon him? Well, it's none of this is accidental. None of this is is uh, is just something that they um um they did on their own. This was all significant. This was all part of of these Um, prophetic things that would happen. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. And what do the thistles, this crown of thorns, and what do they represent? Well, we know that after Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the ground. And look at verse 18 of chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and ye shall eat the plants of the field. The thorns and the um, thistles um, actually represent the curse of God. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, there's this curse that was God placed upon the ground. It was not, there were no thistles before uh, sin. There was no curse upon the, the, the planet before, um, before there was sin. And Jesus, although he was sinless, he took the place of you and I. And on the cross, remember, Jesus became sin for you and I. He took it upon him. Uh, and and in that sense, he became the cursed in the sight of God for you and for me. Now look at Genesis chapter 22, a familiar portion of scripture, because we know it's with Abraham and his son. And we know that he takes his son, Isaac, the son of promise, up to the mountains to, to take his life. And look what happens in uh, chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was Ram caught in the thickets by his 
horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It shall be provided. God um, testing Abraham and to see his willingness um, to believe him rather than to believe um, uh, in in just uh, having a son, that God could do whatever he wanted. And we know in Hebrews, what was on the mind of Abraham, because he said, if possible, it is possible, God, if I have to sacrifice my son, then God will bring him back from the dead. An amazing testimony, an amazing um a promise that Abraham believed, and God made that promise to us in Isaiah chapter 53, that there would come a suffering servant who, who would take on him um, all of our iniquities and, and be punished and uh, for what we have done. So they mocked him and they put a crown of thorns upon him and said, oh, hail king of the Jews. So it was a mocking for that. But 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 Pilate actually had it right when he put the sign above the head of Jesus at his crucifixion. He said, it's the king of the Jews. Remember, the, the scribes and the, um, the priests wanted to argue with Pilate and say, uh, don't say that. Say that Jesus said he was the king of the Jews, but he was mistaken. And Pilate said, I've written what I've written. He was right. Jesus is the king of the Jews, but he's also our king as well. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and righteousness. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of the heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Although they mocked him, Although they mocked him and said that he was uh, the king of the Jews in mocking, the reality is that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Jesus is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And that comes from John chapter 14 and verse 6. I'm going to wrap it up right there with these two, and then we'll pick up tomorrow with the rest of them actually will pick up on, uh, yeah, we will pick up on, on Friday. Um, but let me bring this to a conclusion by, pray, uh, conclusion by praying for us in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.